Tokyo Game Life, a Tokyo-based video game podcast focusing on Nintendo and gaming culture in Japan's capital. Your host, Mono, here to bring you a slice of gaming life from Tokyo. Today's feature is about one of the most iconic retro gaming hotspots in all of Japan, Book Off. I'm joined by the official hard-off ambassador, Alex Krauss, to talk about the store, and we run down our amazing finds, how to get retro games cheaper, and whether or not you should buy a Japanese Blinks promotional DVD. In the game section, I look at Konami's run-and-gun arcade game, Mystic Warriors, which got its first ever home release just a few weeks ago, and a Game Freak title that's not Pokemon, Giga Wrecker Alt. Let's get right into the feature on Book Off with Alex Krauss. This episode's feature has been a long time coming, as it's about one of the most important gaming-related places to visit, not only in Tokyo, but all of Japan. I'm talking about Book Off, the largest chain of used bookstores in Japan. But you'll find much more than just dusty old books if you visit one. Joining me today to talk about Book Off is a special guest. So guest, please introduce yourself. Hi, um, my name is Alex Kraus, and I am a Book Off connoisseur. I have been to hundreds of the stores throughout Japan, and I'm here today to tell your listeners about the features of each store, a little bit about the history and how they can get their best bargain. Thanks for joining me. We covered Hard Off in a past episode, so this is the next logical step. I explained it a bit at the top, but go ahead and give our listeners a primer. What is Book Off? Book Off, as you said, is the largest chain of used bookstores in Japan, but they sell not only books, they sell video games, music, DVDs, Blu-ray, anime goods, toys, hobby, and some of their larger formats even sell things like clothing and appliances. Do you remember the first time you ever stepped into a book off, and what did you think about it? I do. I was a college freshman, and I was studying abroad in Kanazawa. Hmm. And I remember going in and thinking, wow, this place is cheap. This is cool. I like this. And that was nearly 20 years ago now, so it's been almost 20 years of book off for me. Yeah, listeners, if you don't know, Kanazawa is, I don't want to say a remote region of Japan, but it's not like Tokyo. It's not like Osaka. I do really vividly remember my first time in a book off. I didn't know its reputation. I was just exploring the neighborhood. And when I went inside, the very first thing that caught my eye was a complete collection of the manga Vagabond for about 3,000 yen. So 100 yen per volume. I thought this was just an incredible deal for an entire manga series. And I did, of course, stumble across the retro game section, which for listeners is probably the reason why they would step into a book off and is what we're going to focus on today. Now, originally, I assumed that all the off stores, like Hard Off, Book Off, Hobby Off, etc., were all owned by some mega off company. But that doesn't seem to be the case. What's the relationship between Hard Off and Book Off and the other off stores? Yeah, so that's actually a very common misconception, mm. even among Japanese people. Once in a while, the, the hard-off Twitter account will make a post reminding people that the hard-off company and the book-off company are separate companies. Mm. And you'll always see lots of Japanese replies going, uh, I didn't know that. So, uh, yeah, to start with, the book-off and hard-off companies are different companies, but they do have a very cozy relationship. The reason for that is that the founders were friends. Hmm. They met at an entrepreneur workshop before each of them started their respective off companies. And Book Off was the first company to be established. It was established May 2nd, 1990 in Kanagawa Prefecture. Hmm. And it was 
a big success. The following year, they established a corporation and started franchising. The reason that they were a big success is that they innovated several things in the used bookshop sphere. Hmm. They introduced bright lighting, wide aisles, Hmm. and they took both of those things from convenience stores. They encouraged shoppers to browse and read in store, which was actually kind of taboo in bookstores of all kinds up until Hmm. that point. They introduced a machine, and you can still find these in Book Off. When they take in used books, they will shave off the edges of books to give them a newer appearance. Hmm. And you can still see this machine in in most stores. It kind of makes a loud grinding noise. (laughs) But these were all innovations that they brought to change the look and image of what a used bookstore is. I'm sure that you and your listeners at some point in your lifetime have been to a used bookstore where it's not easy to navigate and maybe right. it looked like a, a hoarder's house <laughs> more than a more than a place of business. And so they were really trying to change and innovate this image. And so as I said, Book Off was the first of the off companies. And then, as I mentioned, the, the founders were friends. And about uh, three years later is when in 1993 is when Hardoff sort of took some of the ideas from Book Off, in particular the bright lighting and the logo was also sort of copied, presumably <laughs> with permission, and they sort of branched off in their own direction and became a, a separate corporation. But as you probably know, Book Off and Hardoff often exist in the same building or in the same location. Right. And the reason for this is that Hardoff is the biggest stockholder of Book Off, hmm. and also they own many Book Off franchises. So when you find a Book Off that's right next to a Hardoff, there's a good chance that that's a franchise store that is owned by the Hardoff next door. So that's the relationship, and that's why many people think uh, er- erroneously that they are the same company. Wow, that's pretty fascinating, and I didn't realize both of them were fairly new. I always assumed Book Off was always there. Even from the Meiji era, they had a book off somewhere. <laughs> but it's a newer company than I imagined. That's funny to imagine. Meiji era book off. <laughs> I want someone to make that fan art. Even within book off, there are some spinoffs like Book Off Plus and Super Bazaar. Are these just bigger book offs or is there something unique about them? Essentially, yes. They are just bigger formats. So you mentioned Book Off Plus. That format is typically a regular size book off plus apparel and maybe interior goods and athletic equipment and luxury items. That's typically what you'll find at a Book Off Plus. The next biggest format is called Book Off Super Bazaar. And these are very, very big stores. If you've been to one, you'll probably know they sell almost everything. So they've got the regular Book Off store which will have your books your video games music they'll also have what book off plus has which is apparel sports equipment interior and luxury and then they will also have electronics computers cell phones and they'll even have some junk items but they don't call it junk they call it wake adi which in Japanese means sort of like there's a reason it's cheap or it has a defect or something like that. 
And that format in particular is actually very much a competitor or a rival to the hard off format. All right, we've run down what is Book Off, but the best part is, of course, all the amazing retro games and other unusual finds in Book Off. Do you have any golden goose you found at Book Off? What's something that you really wanted and got some absurd price? So to answer that question, yes, definitely. I found a big rare item that I was looking for. This was in the city of Ebetsu in Hokkaido, which is Hmm. just outside of Sapporo. And it was a copy of Metal Gear Solid 2. And you say, well, that's a common game. Why are you saying that? This was not the normal copy of Metal Gear Solid 2. This this copy had a red cover and a red disc Ooh. and a red uh, instruction manual. And this copy was known as the uh, the shareholder's gift version. Oh. <laughs> and uh, is actually printed on the cover, um, shareholder's present version. And as the name suggests, this is a copy of the game that was given to people who owned Konami shares in 2001 and was sent to them as a gift and was not for sale anywhere. And it's really cool because it has different cover and disc and manual art than the standard retail edition. But this book off priced it as if it were a regular copy. Oh, wow. So I got it for 272 yen. Wow, that's crazy. And typically on Mercari, this sells for about 20,000 Japanese yen. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and abroad probably sells for more than that. Mm. Yeah, you never know what kind of insane type of things you can buy there. And we're going to play a little game now. You post a lot of your book off finds on social media. So I'm going to say something you posted, and then you tell the listeners what it is and if you bought it. Uh, I could do a hundred of these, but let's just do five. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay, number one, at 690 yen, Club Nintendo Sound Selection Volume 3 B-Size Music Luigi. What is it, and did you buy it? Yes, I bought that. That was in Eniwa, which is another small city outside of Sapporo, Mm. up here in Hokkaido. So that was a Club Nintendo gift For those who don't know what Club Nintendo was, it was a rewards program where you would get points in your software. When you bought something, you logged on and registered the code. And then if you got enough points, you could redeem it for a gift. Hmm. So this was a CD that you could only get by buying lots of Nintendo software and and redeeming the points. And yes, of course, I bought that. Is it Luigi-themed music, or what is the connection with Luigi? I don't know, actually. (laughs) Uh, I know the title is B-Sides. So I don't know if it's like deep cuts of music or if it's Luigi themed. All right. Number two at 110 yen, PAL for PlayStation. Yes, I bought that. It's actually sitting next to me right here. Oh. That was a an RPG for the PS1. And I had never heard of it. And the back of it looked pretty interesting. So I just bought it. I don't really know much about it at all, really. I also had never heard of this until you posted it. But I did look at some magazine scans and... It seems to have a pretty unique and interesting art style. So it is fun to think about PS1. That was such a popular console and, you know, JRPGs. That's when it really exploded, especially in the West. But there's still so many like JRPGs that nobody's even heard of. Yeah, the the deep dive that you can do on, on PS1 games is just incredible. Mm-hmm. I think throughout its lifespan, it had like 2,000 titles in Japan or something like that. Oh, wow. Maybe <laughs> even more. And Book Off probably has almost all of them somewhere. Perhaps, perhaps. 
Number three, at 3,000 yen, a Choo Choo Rocket Dreamcast controller. Oh, that was in Sapporo Mm. at the Sabu location. And no, I did not buy that one. It was missing the software, I think. Oh. And I like Sega, but I'm not like a Sega fanatic, really. Mm. But it was was a limited edition orange, I I think clear orange controller in a Choo Choo Rocket themed box. But I left that one behind, actually. Yeah, it looks really neat. Listeners, definitely look it up if you've never seen it. A lot of Nintendo fans really love the Spice Orange GameCube controller. So this is kind of the Dreamcast version of that, but more translucent, I suppose. Number four, this one we're getting pricey at 300,000 yen Net Yarose. No, I have not bought a Net Yarose. Did I really find one for 300,000? What is Net Yorose, for those who don't know? Ah, so Net Yorose, for those who don't know, was a homebrew kit for the PS1 that was officially sold by Sony, where you could buy a PlayStation-looking uh, development kit that was black and uh, associated software for your PC to connect it to your PC, and you could make your own home dev officially. These kits now sell for anywhere up to a million, which makes me surprised that I saw one for 300000 Actually, I'm looking at it now. It doesn't seem that you saw it, but you retweeted somebody who did see it for 300000 at Book Off. Oh, okay. <laughs> My apologies, but you're looking at it through their eyes, I guess. Is that a good price point for Net Yorose? If you came across um, it for 300000 would you pick it up right then and there? I do have a friend who was looking for one under... A hundred thousand, but I don't know if you mm. can even buy one at that oh. price point. Yeah, but three hundred thousand seems like a good price. A hundred thousand seems like immediate buy price. All right, last one. It's kind of cheating because you found this at Hard Off, but I'm sure it is also at Book Off too. Priced at one hundred and ten yen. Welcome to the Blinks World. Yeah, I did buy that. That was at a Hard Off in their junk section, and this was a promotional DVD for Blinks the Time Sweeper, Mm. which was a platform game for the original Xbox and is now kind of a meme. I think there's a Twitter account called Poorly Aged, which sort of uses it as their mascot. But this was a sealed promotional DVD for 100 yen, and I picked that up last year, I believe. I often see on your socials you're using coupons or special deals to get those low prices even lower. I go to Book Off often, but I've never really messed with this. What's your secret? How can people get even bigger deals at Book Off? Okay, that's a great question. One of the most frequent questions I get is, how can I get coupons from the Book Off app? So first, obviously, you need the Book Off app, which you can get from the Japanese app store of your phone choice. Many of the coupons are store-specific. means you need to do a little bit of prep work in advance to get coupons. Once you have your app open, you need to go to the bottom right corner, where it has a marker in Japanese says temple, which means Mm. uh, stores. Tap on that and it will bring up a map, show you your location and surrounding stores. What you need to do is click on the marker for each store. You'll see a little heart icon in the bottom right that says uh, Okini Heidi, which is like in Japanese. Mm. Tap on that and then it will say Todokuzumi which means registration complete. You need to do this for every store that you want to shop at. You need to do it in advance 
Uh, coupons drop a few times each month. I would say roughly the 1st of the month, the 10th of the month, the 20th of the month, and then again on the 29th. I would register any store that's in my city or any area that you visit or think you might visit. There's really no penalty for registering as many as you want. But as I said, you need to do it before the coupons drop. So when the coupons drop, you'll get them delivered to your phone. And if you have notifications turned on, you'll get a, no you'll get a notification. That's completely up to you. And then you'll get some nice coupons such as 100 yen off or 200 yen off or even maybe 300 yen off. On the 29th of each month, Book Off will drop a special coupon for most stores. Hmm. And the contents of this coupon will vary from store to store. But I know in the Kanto area, a common one is they will offer you 300 yen off of a 500 yen purchase, Ooh. which is a great coupon. So definitely check your phone on the 29th for a coupon, and it's only good for that day. That's a pro tip right there. The other way that you can get coupons from the BookOff app is from their stamp card function. So for the stamp card, you want to go back to the main menu, and it's on the bottom right, and in Katakana, it says Stampkado. So tap on that, and that will bring up a virtual stamp card. You can earn stamps for this card by A, just simply logging in to the application, or B, in the store, there are QR codes to scan to sort of check in, and C and D, you can earn stamps by buying and selling at the store and showing your barcode. And once you complete 10 of these, you can play a gotcha game. And the gotcha game will give you a stamp for between 20 and 200 yen. The 200 yen off coupon is, is nice when you can mm. get it. And the last point from the app is there's a, a point function. And if you've used any point card, this is pretty straightforward. You get one point for every 100 yen that you purchase in store. And if you trade in, you can also receive points. And you can use those points towards any future purchase in the store. So I highly recommend the app if you want to get an even deeper discount from Book Off. Yeah, I saw you get a Final Fantasy 16 poster for 10 yen because of a coupon. Are there no limitations on these things? So you have to read the fine print in Japanese, mm. but if there's no minimum purchase specified, then yes, you can essentially get free items, <laughs> as I've done a few times Ooh. using coupons. What if your coupon is more than the price of the item? Do they give you money? Uh, I think they'll give you the item for free. Mm. They won't give you cash back, but they'll give okay. you the item for free. So you have to be kind of tactical to make sure you buy something that is exactly the amount that the coupon has. Yeah, happy hunting. <laughs> this is a pretty vague question, but are there any specific book-offs you would personally recommend people visit? That's a great question. I do have an answer for that. So we talked earlier about the mega-sized book-offs, mm. the super bizarre format. And since I'm up here in Hokkaido, there is one in Sapporo in the Miyanosawa district. It's a super bizarre store. And for any Americans listening, it is basically like a Walmart-sized book-off. It is just a massive store that you could spend hours in. I will also warn you that on weekends and holidays, this store attracts huge crowds. And you might be fighting crowds on a holiday or weekend, but if you can go on an off day, it's just a really fun store to explore. 
It's also right next door to a hard-off, so it's easy to hit both of them in one trip. For Tokyo, I think most tourists will likely come across book-offs at tourist spots like Akihabara, Ueno, and Shinjuku. As somebody who lives in Tokyo, these quote-unquote high-traffic book-offs, to be honest, the prices are pretty jacked up compared to your everyday normal book-offs that you find on a random street. But I do think they are worth popping into because the prices are still likely much better than something like Super Potato, even if the stock isn't as large. But I think a lot of people realize that, oh, the best book-offs are often the most hidden. Do you have any tips for somebody who might be visiting Book Off for the first time in Japan? Well, as you mentioned, the Book Offs within Tokyo are higher priced than the ones outside. And mm. if, if you have the time to spare, try to leave Tokyo if you're bargain shopping. Mm. You, you won't find much in the way of bargains within Tokyo that much, I think. Right. A tip I would say is that oftentimes for Book Off, there's no real way to check the stock of each Book Off. So you're kind of going in there blind, but that's also part of the fun because you never know what you're going to see. Isn't that part of the appeal of Book Off? Absolutely. Yeah. If you're looking for something like Super Mario Kart, they'll probably have it. But if you're looking for something very, very specific, they might not have it. But if they do, it is likely at a much, much lower price than any other store that you can find in Japan. Yeah, I think that's true. Okay, final question before we wrap up. Next time you visit Book Off, what are you going to be looking for? Great question. So I find that the best bargains in Book Off are the things that do not have barcodes on them. Mm. So I'm talking about things like accessories and attachments. That's usually the section I go to first. Um, the way that Book Off prices things is that when things get traded in, if they have a barcode, they get scanned in the computer. And there's usually a set price in the computer. Mm. for things that have barcodes, so your standard books, your standard games. But the things that have the biggest price variance are things that don't have barcodes. So employees either have to look them up in the system, or if they don't know what they are, sometimes they just get a random price on them. So that's where you can find your biggest bargains, in my experience. And that's really the section that I go to first. Yeah, I've definitely noticed controller prices can be all over the place. I saw you bought like a loose gun con for pretty cheap. Yeah, one of my best finds ever was a GameCube broadband adapter, hmm. which you may know is a very rare item. And it was priced 100 yen at a <laughs> store in Sapporo. And I actually ended up selling that for about 200 US dollars. The loose items are a better bargain than the sort of shelf items, I think. Hmm. Awesome. Well, Alex, once again, thanks for coming back on the podcast to chat about Book Off. I'll definitely have you back. Maybe we can do an episode on Hobby Off or Liquor Off. Do you know if there's any video game sake or liquor out there? I have a set of Shin Megami Tensei anniversary liquor, actually. Oh, okay. That'll be a, a future <laughs> so, episode. Yeah, it exists. <laughs> awesome. I'll write it down. So, Alex Kraus, where can people find you? So, I am on Twitter. I am on Blue Sky. And also, I have an eBay and Etsy store where I sell some of my treasures. And the links to everything are in the podcast description, so check it out. I personally highly recommend following Alex on social media. If you want to learn about all the amazing things, you can find at Book Off, Heart Off, and many other retro stores all over Japan. So Alex, once again, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. I hope to be back again sometime.
we're not quite in the midst of a flurry of Q1 titles just yet, so I've been focusing on some smaller games I picked up over the holidays, Mystic Warriors and Giga Wrecker Alt. Let's start with Mystic Warriors. It's a 1993 arcade running gun from Konami. Why did I suddenly play it in 2024? Well, a few days ago, it got its first ever home release thanks to Hamster's Arcade Archives. Before December 2023, the only way you could play the game was at an arcade cab. I'm sure there are some other ways, but in terms of putting money in Konami's pocket, you had to play the original cab. And can we give Hamster a bit of love here? The sheer number of amazing games they have brought to modern consoles is truly wild, including many that either have never had a home release or never had a Western release at all. Remember when they put Skyskipper, Nintendo's obscure 1981 arcade game, out on the Switch? You can play it right now. I should really cover that game on the podcast too. You could seriously have a podcast solely dedicated to Hamster's Arcade Archive releases. I'm probably not going to make it, so go ahead and steal that idea. But please invite me on your show as a guest. I can't lie, I was mostly interested in picking up Mystic Warriors because it never had a home release. If you've never played it, I called it a running gun earlier, but this is just a fancy word for side-scroller beat-em-up. But it's more focused on projectiles than melee attacks, and each character has a set of unique moves. It is often said that it is the spiritual successor to 1991 Sunset Riders, also by Konami. There is a very blatant Sunset Riders reference in the game, where you come across a drive-in movie theater playing a movie with the same name. Though this does raise the question of whether or not Sunset Riders was just a movie in the universe of Mystic Warriors, or if they made a movie based on Sunset Riders, which did happen. So again, listeners, if you want to make that video, go ahead, you have my permission. Sunset Riders, I feel, is far more well-known than this game. Not sure if it was just the sheer number of Sunset Rider cabs out there, or the fact that it did get a home release, or Mystic Warriors being overshadowed by other Konami beat-em-ups like Ninja Turtles or Simpsons, but I do feel that Mystic Warriors is somewhat obscure and has not entered the pantheon of mainstream arcade classics. But it does feel like a souped-up version of Sunset Riders, with better graphics, more diverse characters, and yeah, I think we can all agree that ninjas are just better than cowboys. The plot is that one of five playable characters is kidnapped by the evil Skull organization, and you gotta go get him. This is an interesting idea where one character that is normally playable is now the inciting action for the game. Just imagine if you were playing Ninja Turtles and then suddenly Leonardo got kidnapped. You can switch out characters after you die, which is good for those who want to try out everyone in one run. I'm not quite sure how different they are in terms of ability. Each one looks like they have a unique melee attack, but this might just be flavoring, and functionally they're all the same. All the characters look pretty distinct and have wonderfully bright early 90s designs. Everyone would fit in perfectly in Windjammers. Kama is dressed up like a kabuki actor. Yuri is your female ninja, aka Kunoichi. There's a samurai named Kojiro. Brad, who is a hip-hop-inspired monk. And Spyros, who is a blonde American ninja, which was all the rage back then. I don't know if the kidnapped character is random or not, but Kojiro got taken in my playthrough. I do like how everyone looks so distinct, which is a far cry from Sunset Riders where they were just multicolored cowboys. The thing that stuck out most to me is just how unique all the stages are in terms of presentation. Since it takes place in modern day, it doesn't rely on traditional Japanese tropes. You fight in a movie theater. You fight in a ski resort. You infiltrate a giant mechanical airship. Yeah, you do eventually fight your way through a Japanese castle, but that's great. Japanese castles should be in every game. The great thing about a lot of these Konami arcade titles is that they really didn't care about cohesion. Why are they suddenly snowboarding down a mountain fighting evil ninjas? Because it's awesome, that's why. The vibrant pixel art looks like a notable step up from Sunset Riders, and it's got some great animations for its time. Another element of the presentation that stood out was the English voice acting. 
even when playing the Japanese version of the game. Kind of funny that a Japanese game about ninjas has English voices, but maybe they were thinking of the Western market at this time, and Konami was probably making a lot of bank overseas in the early 90s. It's an arcade running gun slash beat em up slash hack and slash, so if you just keep feeding in credits, you can beat it in an hour or so. I've never been a one credit clear type of person. To me, there's just an immense appeal of finally seeing the credits in an arcade game, something that would never happen as a kid. And since most arcade games are about a dollar these days, if you die eight times, hey, you got your money's worth, right? I don't know if I would say this is the best Konami arcade title. There's a lot of tough competition out there. Obviously, for me, X-Men and Simpsons have a lot of nostalgia. I do think Mystic Warriors overall is more interesting than Sunset Riders, and if you're a mega fan of that game, it's safe to assume that you would like this one too. Or if you're just collecting games, this is the only home release of Mystic Warriors ever, so you can buy it now and have it for quote-unquote forever. Alright, next game I want to briefly talk about is Giga Wrecker Alt from 2019. This is the enhanced edition of 2017's Giga Wrecker, which released on Steam initially. Why did I randomly buy this 2019 game most people forgot about? Well, it was only $3 on the eShop, and it's from Game Freak. Yes, that Game Freak of Pokemon fame. This was one of their titles from the Gear Project in the 2010s, where Game Freak focused on smaller indie games that were notably different from their Pokemon offerings. You've got Giga Wrecker, Pocket Card Jockey, Harmonite, and Timbo. I played all except for Harmonite, which people say is the best one, so maybe I've been doing this all wrong. The director is Masayuki Onoue, who has had several positions across various Pokemon projects. Recently, he worked on Arceus. This is his first and to date only game he's directed, though. I am a fan of several of Game Freak's non-Pokemon games. Yoshi from NES is something that I constantly played as a kid. Pulseman is really cool. Mario and Wario is a unique oddity. I'm always immediately interested if they have a game that's not from their core franchise. I mean, Pokemon is the greatest idea for a game ever, so you'd hope they could come up with something just as interesting. But it is an interesting game, especially as something Game Freak developed. It's a physics-focused platformer with some puzzle elements. You can attack certain parts of the stage, which creates debris that you can collect into a big ball. With your new junk ball, you can break other parts of the level, fight enemies, and even transform the ball into other stuff. The whole game revolves around this one mechanic, which makes it feel like somebody's solo game project and not something put out by a company who normally works on one of gaming's biggest IPs. But that's also kind of the point. Game Freak, before Pokemon, was really just a small indie studio. Even now, they seem to have an indie studio vibe, with a low number of employees and a focus on making very small, digital-only titles instead of trying to make the successor to Pokemon, or even something with that level of budget or scope. They never turned into Ubisoft, for example, who put out a bunch of smaller titles in the 80s and 90s, then transformed into a monolith. Another notable element of the aforementioned Gear Project is that it wasn't locked to Nintendo hardware. Timbo famously skipped Wii U, and GigaRecker first launched on Steam. I've always kind of wondered what Game Freak thinks about Nintendo. Companies like HAL and Intelligent Systems are not owned by Nintendo, but are exclusive to their hardware. But Game Freak makes a conscious effort to release things outside of the Nintendo ecosystem. I think this is probably good for developers who want to hone their skills on different projects. They don't just want to be stuck in the Pokemon mines. But it is weird to see Game Freak straight up ignore Nintendo at times. Even Giga Record was published by Rising Star Games in the West, which is a fairly small publishing company. But back to the game, first thing that stood out to me was the art style, which is notably different from anything Game Freak has ever put out. Far less cutesy and more anime styled, with a almost sci-fi industrial aesthetic. The character movement and graphics are not what I expected. I don't know how to describe this, but it does have a very Flash game type of feel to it, where your character and the background feel very disconnected. The camera is also very zoomed out, so if you're playing on handheld mode, 
the girl you're controlling might look like an ant. Movement is also somewhat slow. You're not very mobile, which does make the game feel a bit sluggish when you're traversing these larger areas. By the way, it is a Metroidvania. So yes, huge open areas where you might not know where to go at times. To be honest, I'm not that hot on the game. Controlling the character isn't as smooth as I'd like, and the mechanic of reforming the level is interesting, but some puzzles are easy to mess up, and the debris in combat doesn't really add anything fun to the game. There are areas where you can reset the debris, which kind of signals to the player that they would need to use a bit of the good old trial and error type of gameplay to get past some sections. But to me, I found the puzzles a bit more frustrating and less freeform than I would have liked. I don't know, it kind of feels like a game that I would come across from a solo dev or a very small team, and not something put up by Game Freak. I'm not asking for a AAA level budget, but it doesn't seem particularly unique, despite the concept being interesting on paper. I would really only recommend it to Game Freak Hardcores if you just have to play everything they've ever put out. But hey, Pulsepan is on NSO right now, and you'd probably have more fun playing that. That's all for games, now for the news. but surely the news cycle is starting up in 2024, so let's take a peek at some news before we wrap up. Obviously, the biggest piece of news is that Hobonichi Mother Project recently announced that for Mother 2, aka Earthbound's 30th anniversary, aka this year, there will be new merch, events, and collaborations. Great timing since my last episode was about Earthbound pop-up shops, so if you want some insight on what they could announce, check out that episode. New merch isn't shocking, there's new merch constantly at these pop-up shops. I do wonder how much more they could add. I still want those Earthbound branded baseball bats. For events, they specifically said in Japanese, events that we have never done before. So this makes me think that there will be something outside of just merch pop-up shops. Not sure what kind of event they could do, maybe a Q&A with Itoi or a concert. New collaborations is the most interesting as while the Hobonichi Mother Project has put out a lot of merch, they haven't really done any crossovers or collabs with other brands. Are we going to get Earthbound-themed konbini food? Or some gelato PK pajamas? I'll eat whatever they put in 7-Eleven. There is a lot of food in the game. Will this tie in with a game announcement? I doubt it. But on a long enough timeline, either Earthbound or Mother 3 will be remade. So keep those fingers crossed. Forever. If you're listening to this day one, coming up this weekend on the 20th and 21st is Tokyo Game Dungeon 4, another indie event right here in Tokyo. If you've never been before, it's an exhibition where indie game developers show off their games, mostly from Japanese developers, of course. I think this is a must-do for anybody who loves indie games or just gaming in general. It's always great to see developers show off their games in such an early state. And it's also very brave of them to show to the world, hey, I only have kind of an idea or level one, but here's my game. Please remember it. Again, highly, highly recommended if you are in Tokyo. Please check it out. I don't know if I will make it this weekend, but I did cover a past event before on the podcast, so go back and listen to that episode. I'm not really big into rumors, but I might as well touch on this one. Hi-Fi Rush might be coming to Switch. This is a rhythm action game from Tango Gameworks, a Japanese studio owned by Microsoft. You might remember that this was shadow dropped last year and was very well regarded. Rumors state that more Xbox games could be coming to Switch as well. A lot of people are wondering about Sea of Thieves or Pentiment, but come on, you gotta put Blinks on Switch. It was developed by a Japanese studio, Arzest, known for Balan Wonderworld, Sonic Superstars, and a bunch of mediocre Yoshi games. I've always assumed that these games have to be at least serviceable. I was never a huge Xbox person. I've actually never owned an Xbox console, but I have mooched off my friends. I do have some fond memories of playing Halo 1-3 with my pals, 
but the other franchises under Microsoft's umbrella aren't that interesting to me. Though the Master Chief Collection coming to Switch would be tempting if the online is active. But you can play as Master Chief in Fortnite on Switch, which is almost the same, right? Okay, let's wrap it up. Thanks as always for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite app. Leave a five-star review as well. It helps with visibility. This podcast is also available on YouTube, so like and subscribe there as well. I'm on Twitter, Threads, Blue Sky, Instagram. Just search for Tokyo Game Life or find the links in the podcast description. If you like the podcast, be sure to share with your friends and on social media. If there's anything you want me to talk about or cover, don't be shy. Just feel free to message me. The next episode will be on January 28th. See you next time. Matane! Matane!